Okay, thank you, choir. And thank you, choir. <laughs> That's the idea behind worship. It's not uh, any one person. It's all true believers responding to what God's done. He is a good, good God. And He has given us a, an amazing world to live in. Stop and think of just the many places that you have been able to go and travel and be appreciating an amazing creation. So we do. We live in a world that is simply amazing, but we live in a world that's full of all sorts of problems that the Bible calls sin. And... Uh, here this morning, we've been going, uh, uh, we're going to talk about the resurrection. There is a outline in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. And um, we've been going over the gospel essentials, the essentials of the gospel of Jesus Christ over the last couple of months. And today um, we've worked it out to last week, it was about the crucifixion, and today. It's about the resurrection. But this world that we live in has been very successful in putting forth all sorts of confusing messages. There's a lot of messages out there. And um, my good friend Mike Parrish uh, spends time on his ham radio. And uh, I don't know, there's other guys that spend time in their ham radio and a lot of voices out there that you can talk to guys all over the world. Well, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the, the things that come forth that lure you, that attract you and I. And you and I end up forming a world vision, a world idea, a world viewpoint. And you can attend church all the time. And that world view can still be driving your life. And this one truth that we're going to talk about today demolishes all worldviews. It really challenges everything that we learn of and, and begin to understand as you, you know, little child grows up and they start learning about life. And their worldview gets formulated. And for the majority of people, their worldview is with them at the center. Even some of our young people, you know, we parents, we bring them to youth and we want the youth ministry to be solid and all that. And we Or start like, like Glenda said or, or Maddie said, you know, start back at Awana in the ch childhood days. And we want them to learn. But somehow, it's like people can still grab a hold of a worldview that is all about me. It's all about what we say is humanism. And as long as we're going to go with humanism, hey, I'm going to be at the center of that. I'll be on the throne of that, of that kingdom. That sounds good to me. And yet, what did Jesus come? Some of the first words out of Jesus' mouth in the ministry that he had as an adult was, repent for what? The kingdom of God is at hand. 
and right from the start, right from the get-go, he challenges this whole idea of who's in charge. Who is in charge? And he wasn't just a, a, a crazy, you know, wild dictator grabbing a hold of the reins of, and saying, hey, I'm in charge and I'm going to be, and you better like it. He didn't do that. Most of you know how he approached life and what he did in presenting things. There's no one like Jesus. Do you understand that? There's absolutely no one like Jesus. And that's something that we want to let settle into our minds and our hearts. There's no one like Jesus. And there's all sorts of wannabes. There's all sorts of people who have put forth the idea that, hey, I've got this idea. I'm going to tell you what to, you know, how to do it and all this. And yet it's a false system. Even very successful uh, different denominations of churches put forth a wrong message, put forth a false teaching. And we're not claiming to be the only one in town or the only one in the state that has it right. We want to keep, as a church, we want to continue moving in the right direction. And that is a constant issue of evaluating what we're doing as individuals and as a group through the lens of the Scripture. That's where we get our worldview. That's how we understand the way the world goes. It's through the lens of Scripture. The Bible says, God, in the beginning, God. It doesn't give a reasoning for Him. It just says, in the beginning, God, and here's the creation. He spoke, and things came into being. You have a hard time with that? I do too. Why? He's God. I'm not. I don't get that. Do you? He's God. He can speak and things come into, into order. But what is our worldview? Hey, you know, th- this must have come about, you know, over billions of years. This, this had to have come about because, I mean, look at the complexity of it. But look at, look at God from the lens of Scripture. God is greater than any, any one of us can imagine. And yet we still want to take the concept and the idea of God and squeeze Him into our little brains and, and try and figure Him out. And thus, when it comes to this idea of what we're celebrating, His resurrection, it's like, oh yeah, okay, well... Let's go with what some of the scientists say. Well, they must have put his body in, the, in a shallow grave and, and some of the dogs just kind of dug, dug him up and ate him. No body. Hey, the dogs ate him. You think I'm making that up? That's, that's, an under, that's what you can find in commentaries and in, in books that will say, suggest that they just buried him in a, in a shallow grave. They, they deceived people. They didn't put him in the tomb. Yes, they did. That's the report. Anyway, we are, what we want to understand is that in the title that is there in your outline, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are. And I, I want to emphasize that we are witnesses. Here today, 
we are. We are witnesses. Okay? And so if you didn't bring a Bible, I want to encourage you to take the Bible in the pew in front of you and uh, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, uh, for those that need um, uh, your Bible in the pew, it's page 910. 910 in your, in your pew Bible. Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 22. And this is the, um, this is the first sermon of the new church. I thought it was appropriate to unveil it here, to, to share it here and unpack it here with our uh, time together. Um, there is a big stir in the community uh, in, in Jerusalem. And it's like the people are going, what's going on? You know, and people go out into the court area and, and, and they hear, uh, their own language because there's Jews from all over the Mediterranean area that showed up and they're hearing their own language. And what it is, is it's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit has come. Why? Because Jesus left. He went, he's ascended. And he said, when I, when I leave, I'm going to send my comforter the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit has come. He's fallen upon the believers and they're speaking in tongues. They're speaking languages that the others in the area for the celebration of the Passover, they hear their own language and this is a miracle. Okay? And then Peter gets things going in verse 22. By the way, he he does explain uh, that this is in fulfillment of what the prophet Joel said. And that's in verse 17 through 21. But we want to pick it up at verse 22. If you'd follow along, it says, Men of Israel, listen. And that means right now. That, that's the idea behind the, the, it's like a command. Right now, listen right now. We gotta get right to this. Listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. Okay, stop right there. He's making it very clear and he's being emphatic with this. It's Jesus, the Nazarene. Now, these people, they know, and that's what he says. He's talking to these Israelites, and he's saying, this is the man, Jesus, and it's through these miracles that he's done, that God's performed through him in your midst. What is that getting at? In, out in the open, out in public. Okay? Everyone's been able to see it or hear about it. Okay? If I were right now to go down and get my water, which I could use. Now, uh, that was a setup. Let's do that again. No. <laughs> Some of you didn't see, did you? Aha. Uh-huh. You'll have to wait till after the service and find out what happened. These were witnesses. You're witnesses of what happened. You saw it with your own eyes. And that's what we're trying to get at in this message. These people, they saw it with their own eyes. And so, 
we are witnesses, number one, of his miracles. Okay? Um, so just follow along as we go. Um, a real quick rundown. We're not going to dive into all the miracles, but we want to touch on them real quickly. The miracles done very publicly, done in their midst. Many of them done uh, for as many to see as possible. And it was done to show his deity. Done to show that he is the Messiah. And that's why Peter says, as you yourselves know. And, he, and here's some of them. Casting out demons. N- not just any traveling... Uh, prophet could do that casting out demons and by the way the demons knew who he was got that the demons that he cast out knew who he was um healing those blind from birth that is a miracle healing those crippled from birth that's a miracle and oh by the way not just um he healed them and walked away they had different responses when they, they were, the, the guy was healed and he got up and he, what? He leaped up and he jumped up and praising God. You know, a guy that is lame from birth, you gotta learn how to walk again. It's not like you can just, you know, no, he did, this guy does. He, he learns, you know, he gets up and he walks right away. That's an, a, a, a kind of a double miracle right there. He turned water into wine. He calmed the wind and the waves with his word. Okay. Um, he multiplied five loaves and two fish into a feast and still had leftovers. Um, this one is an amazing one. He told Peter, hey, um, they're talking about taxes. Hey, Peter, go and fish. And he's a good fisherman. So the first fish you catch, take him and open up his mouth. And what are you going to find? Find your tax payment right there. How do you like that, folks? Isn't that sweet? And it was just the right amount. Now, wait a minute. That just doesn't happen out of the ordinary. Why? Oh, it's supernatural. Here, we're, That's what we're dealing with, ha- having a worldview that is not just based on science, but it's got the supernatural to it. We've got to understand that. And that's what Jesus came. He came, here's the kingdom of God. It's not just a natural thing. It's not just a political thing that all his disciples... Hey, let's, let's take over Rome. You can do it, Jesus. No, it wasn't about a, po- a political takeover. It was about the kingdom of God. Now, and here's two more, real quickly, the miracles that he does at the Garden of Gethsemane. A whole crowd has come to arrest him. It's not just a few guys. It's a whole troop of people. Roman soldiers and soldiers from the, uh, the temple, the temple guard, a huge group comes, okay? And we just think, oh, you know, Judas kisses him. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a flurry of activity. And the next thing you know, Jesus is carried off. But in there, details are given. Details are given. Jesus steps forward and says, who are you seeking? Why does he do that? He doesn't want his disciples carried away. He purposely says, who are you seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And what happens? Yeah. Guys fall over from what he just said. If you've never heard of that, that's because God is there. 
It's not just a, a cool teacher. It's not just a popular guy. It's because God in a body is there. And when he says, I am, that's his name, people fall over. <laughs> and here's, here's the problem. We, we, we put that through our grid and we say, no, 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 that can't be. That must be made up. That sounds like a really cool myth. You know, after all, Greek mythology, they did stuff like that, right? Now, th- here's, here's the story that he spoke and power came forth. Just like when God speaks at creation, things come together. He's powerful. But also, oh, at that point, there's a distraction. And, and so Peter, he's going to die for Jesus, right? He says, I- I'll die for you. And at that moment, some of you know, and it's in the kind of in the dark, and all of a sudden Peter says, Okay, here's my chance. And he whips out his his sword, and it's not a big, huge, long one, but it's a, a short enough one. But he goes after one of the uh servants of the high priest. And he just starts hauling away. I don't know how he swung his sword, but he he went out with the sword, and all he got was the guy's ear. But he got Malchus in the ear. Now listen, this is a, this is a miracle where this is, here's a fresh wound. It's bleeding. And what, what does the gospel writer say? Jesus, without any request, without any demonstration of faith, Jesus heals him right there. That's right. And you know what? Again, in our grid that we use, we say, no, 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 no. That just doesn't happen. He's got to go see, you know, emergency. He's got to go to the local doctor in Jerusalem there. But see, this is why we have a problem with it. We don't see Jesus as God. And yet, Jesus is God. So, with that all in mind, all, here's the miracles, right? And we could say, well, hey, why doesn't he just do a miracle to prevent him from having to die? I mean, he doesn't have to die. But he does. That's a part of the next understanding of, of his, his coming. The, it, it, that we are witnesses of his death. Number two, look at verse 23. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So, this was planned out by God. Delivered up according to the predetermined plan of God. It was the Father's good pleasure to punish His Son. Let that sink in and jot down, if you're taking notes, jot down Isaiah 53... And there's the prophecy of that. It was the father's good pleasure to punish his son. And we go, no, that can't be. Yes, it is. Because God had to have a way to redeem you from your sin. To redeem you from your rebellion. And this is how he did it. The predetermined, it's, that word predetermined is, is the word we get from horizon in our language. And it's to, to mark out a boundary. And God predetermined this. He marked it out from where? Back before creation started. 
Again, I don't quite wrap my mind around that, do you? Uh, you know, it's hard because here we are. We're finite creatures. But this is the, the predetermined plan, which that word plan is the word that many of the authors in the, in the New Testament use for the word will, the will of God. That's God's will, to have His Son crucified, to have Him executed like He was. And foreknowledge, the idea of it's, you know, it's not just simply meaning foreknowing, but it's more about the idea of the, the selective knowledge regarding one with favor. So that those who come to faith in Christ obviously receive grace in, in this. This is planned out by God. But also, under his death, it's also perpetrated by man. Paul, uh, Peter says, you nailed him to a cross. You nailed him. You, meaning the Jews. And you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men, the Romans. And you put him to death. God planned it out from eternity past, but here's who God holds responsible, the Jews. And along with that, the Romans. And along with that, you. 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 Me. We're held accountable. Because had we been there, we would have done it. We would have been part of yelling out, crucify Him, crucify Him. Your nature and my nature are such that we rebel against God. We turn away from God. We can do it better than God. Until the work of God starts in your life to cause you to submit to Him. And He wants you to submit to Him and humble yourself before Him. That's His plan. But still many of us put forth pride and push Him away. And He wants us to humble ourselves before Him. So, it's planned out by God ahead of time. It's perpetrated by man and man is responsible God knew that no one else and no other plan would work other than His Son's sacrifice. And God knew that whatever man would attempt, it would fall short of God's glory. So, here it is. He has already planted out from before the foundations of the earth. So, to God be the glory for His doing this. You know, we, we need to remind ourselves, God didn't uh, kind of respond on the run, saying, Oh, maybe I ought to come up with a plan. And all of a sudden he whipped it together and, oh, let's, let's, uh, let's do this and this. No, it had been done before the foundation of time. And so the execution of Jesus was the darkest moment in Israel's history. But as we see it here, as we see it here in Acts chapter 2, we see that it was orchestrated and or designed and orchestrated by God to bring about salvation for lost souls and glory for His great name. It points to a great and mighty God that ought to receive glory from His creatures. You and I as His people. Well, and so... We are witnesses of His miracles, of His death, but also of His resurrection also. It's in, I said this this morning at the sunrise service, it goes hand in hand. To have His death alone is like, well, wow, that's pretty cool, but that's like just a martyr's death. But to, you've got to have the resurrection with this. 
the death and resurrection of Jesus. They go hand in hand. They go together. Never one without the other. Death is defeated in his resurrection. Verse 24 tells us, look at it, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. So some of your versions, might uh, you might see loosing the pangs of death. Well, yeah, the, the word pangs, that's a, a term regarding giving birth. You ladies, you moms, you know about that. Giving birth. And uh, it's like, why do they use that there? Well, because of the result. There's, there's temporary pain in his death, but here's the result of it. The resurrection. So, it was not possible for him to be held by death. We know that from our song, Christ Arose. Death could not keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior. Okay? So, the fact is that since he could not be held by death, that means there's no decay, no decomposition happening. Again, this is a miracle, okay? Death is defeated. And that ought to mean a a world of treasure for you as a believer. Because he is called the first fruit in 1 Corinthians. He is the first fruits of those who are asleep, meaning those who are dead. And for as in Adam all die because of our sin, so in Christ all All will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and after that, those who are Christ at his coming. So, the resurrection again, the more that you as an individual believer can let that sink in and let the truth of the resurrection come. This is not something that just, oh, that's a great idea. Let's put that into action. No, this had been building since eternity past. And that's what we see in point 3B. The resurrection brings forth the fact, yes, he, death is defeated. But secondly, letter B, the truth of the word is verified. The Bible itself is verified. How's that? Peter uses the prophecy from Psalm 16. He's saying, this is what's been prophesied. It's been prophesied. This is... Almost a thousand years ago, before Christ comes. That's got to have something of value to you. That's got to have something special there to you. How could that have been? How could that happen? This is a thousand years before he was born. He's, he's predicting this. His resurrection. Read Psalm 16. Peter says it in this passage here. Well, there's other prophecies that are mentioned about his life, his, his birth, his life. Even the words that he says from the cross are prophesied in the Psalms. This is just not, oh, a, a cool thing that kind of all of a sudden came together. See, this is God's work. This is God saying, here's the evidence, my friend. And the evidence cannot be escaped from. You can't dodge the evidence. What will you do? Even in the New Testament, Jesus says to his disciples, before he gets to Jerusalem, he tells them in Matthew 20, 
18 and 19. See, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. You think that's by chance? Hey, he got it. He got No, he understood this. This is why he came. This was his mission. Okay? The Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. And here it's coming. Here it's coming. No one can do that. That's what one of Peter's points is in this message. That he is exalting Christ high above, far above all others. So death is defeated. The truth of the Bible is verified not just in the Old Testament with prophecies, but even here in the New Testament that Jesus shares. And then in letter C under number three is the verdict is rendered. The verdict is rendered. Look at verse 32. We're jumping there to verse 32 in Acts chapter 2 where he says, This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. There we go. And he's saying it again. He's being repetitive. So you and I get it. So that the hearers in Jerusalem get it. We understand that the apostles made this message their theme. The book of Acts is also known as the gospel of the resurrection. The gospel of the resurrection. Why? Because the apostles keep coming forth saying, I'm going to preach. Here we go. And what do they preach? They preach the message of the cross. And the fact that Jesus rose again. That's right. Each time. Acts chapter 3. Later on, you can look at it. Acts chapter 3, verse 15. Look at it. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised up from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Different sermon, but here, same message. Acts chapter 4. Christ Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 10. All of these are promoting, here's the death and resurrection of Christ, and saying, you are witnesses. Okay? So, now, here's a little rabbit trail I want to go with. And that is this. This was not a fabricated plan planned out by the disciples. They had had to have done it earlier on before even they they had the Holy Spirit to help them. <laughs> this is not some scheme to put forth some idea to make a new movement. The movement of Christianity exploded at this point. And you would think from a, a commoner like Jesus that this really happened? Why? It did, because why? The resurrection. It was that big of a thing. Let me show you um, one of Paul's arguments. Turn in your Bible to Acts 26. Acts 26. Just go towards the end of Acts there. Acts 26. In verse 22, Paul is giving his testimony... He's saying, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. There he's relying on the scripture. 
He's not going off on his own with some idea. No, he's based it on what the scripture says. And then he goes on to say to this king, he's talking to a king and Festus, who's a governor. And he's talking to these guys and he's, um, they're saying to him, look at verse 24. Paul was saying this in his defense and Festus, the governor, Festus cries out in a loud voice, Paul, you're losing your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Hey, that's what the world says about the resurrection, doesn't it? And he's saying, yeah, you're mad, man. Yeah, that, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Look at verse 25. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. Now look at, you gotta look at verse 26, let it sink in, for the king knows about these matters. And I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. None of what things? The gospel. The events of the gospel. The gospel essentials. None of these things escape your notice, O king. What does he say? For this has not been done in a corner. It's not been done in obscurity. It's not been done in secret. This has been done out in the open. And by this time, this is like, I think about 20, 30 years later, where Paul is saying this. And then he writes, get this, he writes 1 Corinthians, and in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, oh no, by the way, yeah, he showed up and Jesus showed himself to 500 people, and some of which are still alive, and you can go talk to them, basically, is what he's saying. About what? The resurrection. This is not a bunch of wacko, idiotic, you know, disciples. This is the real deal. Had, had there been the discovery of the body of Jesus, what would have happened? Well, this would have been done with as soon as that announcement was made. You, folks, you know, you know the nature of people. Human nature hasn't changed one iota. I mean, nowadays, it's like there's a scandal out in the news and uh, it's, it's some fabricated thing and the truth eventually what? The truth eventually comes out. And what I want to point out is that in the resurrection, the people that knew it and saw it and were witnesses went and they spread the word, some of which lost their lives. And the enemy, the opposition, was never able to establish their argument other than a false report. So, number four in your outline, it's his ascension. We are witnesses of his ascension. They saw him, uh, uh, the group of disciples saw him ascend to go to heaven. And also along with that, that was also prophesied, Psalm 110 verse 1. And then Paul writes about it in Ephesians 1. He's far above all rule and authority. Paul writes about it in Philippians 2, verse 9, where Christ is highly exalted. He is totally unique. There's no one like him. And point number five is the appeal. The appeal. That's what comes following. You know what? There's no invitation really needed here. The people came under conviction of their sin. And that's an important feature, my friend. This is why the law needs to be put forth. The law is perfect and the law cannot be kept by anyone in here. You are guilty of 
falling short of the law of God. You can't keep it. And yet the law is good and righteous and holy. It's not, it's not wrong at all. It's God's law and you and I are guilty of it. Let that sink in. And yet here's what Jesus came to do. He came to not destroy the law, but to fulfill the law for you, for me, so that we might be made right with him. Come to faith in Christ. That's what it it comes down to. Turn from your own rebellious ways. They, They were convicted. They were pierced in their hearts in verse 37. And they said, Peter, what do we do? And Peter said to them, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know we've got to touch on this. Some of you are thinking, there it is. I need to be baptized to be saved. And we do not believe that. We do not teach that. It's not because we're going to rebel against this verse. No, it's just that when you take in the the spread of New Testament uh, teaching and instruction, you never get any command to be baptized in order to be saved. Here, it was spoken to the Israelites. They needed to make a cut from their, a turn away from their society, their culture. And everyone was about the law. And here he's telling them, you've got to be baptized. Why? To show that you are identifying with Christ. That's what these people up here did. They demonstrated that they have already come to faith in Christ and now they want to demonstrate that and proclaim that Christ is Lord. When you see these people that were baptized, you know, pray for them. Pray that they'll continue to walk with the Lord and grow in the Lord. Especially the younger ones who are in there. Well, all of them. But the younger ones have a real challenge because high school campus is a tough spot to live for the Lord. Right? Okay? And so, pray for these people. Well, the point is that baptism, if that's what we're going by, then think of this. All the people in Hebrews 11... They're not saved. They didn't get baptized. (laughs) And other examples like that. The point of salvation is not to be baptized first to gain salvation and a right standing with God. The point of salvation is bow the knee, repent of your sin, turn to Christ and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Are you convicted over your sin? Are you convicted over being a rebel against God? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, the evidence is in. The evidence is here. The verdict is in. The Israelites were guilty. They knew it. They came and they said, how do we, how do we get things right? They believed. They, here's repentance and belief together. Repent of sin, believe in Christ. Repent of sin, believe in Christ. They, this, this group of people, Stop and think of this. They were the ones who probably a month and a half earlier were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And now many of them are saying, what do I do to be saved? 
I hope that's, if, if you're here this morning and you've not yet come to faith in Christ, I hope that's what God's doing in your life right now to bring forth a, a recognition of your sin, of your falling short of God's standard and that you'll come to faith in Christ. And you don't have to come forward. You can do that right where you're at. You can say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. You're the Savior. Is there anyone else like him? Then go and find him and go put your faith in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll close with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is one of the best arguments for this whole issue. If Christ be not raised from the dead, what? Your faith is empty, vain, nada, nothing. Your faith is empty if Christ be not raised from the dead. What's the other side of it then? He's raised up from the grave. You can have victory. You can give glory. And you can be living a life that God intended that is found in God's will. Are you in God's will for your life? God wants you to bow the knee now. Confess with a tongue now. Don't wait. The world is unraveling at a pace that is unseen of in, the, in, in our day, in our age. It's unraveling. My friend, please, would you read the Gospel of John? I, I challenge you, just read the Gospel of John. You Christians, do you understand? You're here this morning saying, I'm a believer. And do you understand what Peter gave emphasis to here? The importance of what? The importance of knowing the Word of God. Do you think he had a strong concordance whipped out in his little pocket calculator there and, and looked up those verses? Peter knew it. Yes, now he's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's being used of God. But listen, he, he knew the Word. You and I, as Christians, we need to know the Word of God better and better and better. Keep spending time in it. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And for many of us, it's kind of wimpy. Because why? We don't respond to life situations with the truth of the Word of God. We respond with our feelings. We respond with what, what everybody on the block is doing. We respond the way students at the high school are, are doing. Or what the TV said, or whatever. Fix your eyes on Jesus! He's the Savior. He's the Lord. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Remember, He is risen. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, please take this and use it for Your glory. Lord, please continue Your good work that You've been doing. We thank You that You are doing a good work. We thank You, Lord, for for Glenda and Maddie. We thank You, Lord, for Stephanie and Jamie. And Lord, we want to join in with them and grow in our faith. We want to walk with You and live for You. You died for us so that we might live for You. Please help us, dear Lord,
to be a people that continually grow to love you more and more and to turn away from sin and to hate it. And Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit, bring conviction to the hearts of unbelievers. Lord, just like these people here in Acts 2, Lord, you can do that same thing now. Bring conviction of sin and the fear of judgment to these people who don't yet know you, who have still uh, put you off, who have rejected you. Lord, bring them to faith in Christ. Please be glorified here in our day today as we go. Thank you, Lord, for the, the great message of victory in Jesus. We thank you, Lord. And we pray that you would help us in continuing to praise your name and to trust you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. God bless you and have a great day. You're